On the bottom of every garbage disposal, now you're probably wondering where I'm going with this. <laughs> so am I. On the bottom of every garbage disposal, there's a little red button. It's usually square. I've never understood why. It's the reset button. And from time to time, when your garbage disposal stops working or even jams, often all you need to do to get it working again is just push the little red button on the bottom of the garbage disposal. Now, I know this because I am a man. And all men are born with the innate knowledge of the little red button on the bottom. And I have just violated the sacred trust by telling you women about the little red button. Because the truth is, we do not want you to know that we know about the little red button. And that's because when the garbage disposal stops working from time to time, we want you to think that we're geniuses when we're able to repair it. That's why your husband will say things like, yeah, I got the uh, disposal running again. I had to, had to pull the flux capacitor, <laughs> reboot a couple of transponders, but it's purring like a kitten now. I'm going to take a nap. I'm a little tired. That was hard. Yeah. So several years ago when my kids were younger, I came home one day, opened the front door, and have you ever had this experience where you open your door and you can tell already something's gone wrong? Because there's a, just a different atmosphere, and you can sense it. And on that day, when I opened the front door, there was this cumulonimbus cloud in the foyer. It was raining on the hardwoods, little lightning bolts shooting down. You got the idea? Something was wrong. So, of course, I go to find my wife, Joy. I said, honey, what's the matter? She said, I had friends coming over for lunch today, and I was running late because the kids were nuts Five minutes before my friends are supposed to be here, I go to do the dishes. I got a stack of dishes in the sink that high, and the water won't go down in the sink because the garbage disposal was jammed. And I said, well, you should have pushed the little red button on the bottom of the... Yeah, that didn't go over so big. <laughs> I was just being helpful. I was saying to her, just in case you ever run into this problem again, I will violate the sacred trust and tell you how to repair a garbage disposal. But apparently that's not what she wanted right then. And, and it took me some time to figure out what had actually gone wrong in that conversation. What eventually occurred to me is I wasn't just insensitive, and it's not just that my timing was off. The problem is that we were actually speaking two different languages. Now, I'm going to show you a passage here from Ephesians chapter 5. I know Mike Lee's been talking to you about Marriage 2.0. I love that title here. So if he's been talking to you about marriage, he has probably taken you to Ephesians chapter 5 because it's a classic passage on the roles and responsibilities of husbands and wives. It's a default passage. You want to talk about marriage, you got to go to Ephesians 5. There's, there's 12 sentences in that relevant passage, and the first three are addressed to you wives. Wives do this. The next eight sentences are addressed to husbands, which should tell you, I think, that husbands probably need quite a bit more help when it comes to marriage than women do. Then there is a final verse. There is a summary verse. It's as though the Apostle Paul says, wives, do this, husbands, do this, and then husbands and wives, this is what you do. Summary statement. And that's the one I want you to look at. It's Ephesians 5, 33. Paul said, however, each one of you, now remember he's addressing husbands, so it's each husband of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. 
Now, isn't that kind of interesting that he actually gives two different pieces of advice to husbands and to wives? That's not a 21st century thing to do. In our emphasis today on equality and often on sameness, we like to say the same thing to everybody. So shouldn't this read, however, each of you husbands and wives, you should love one another. And you wives and husbands respect one another. Why did Paul give different advice to different genders? I mean, is it that husbands don't really need to respect their wives? Respect is not important to women? Or is it that wives in Ephesus were already doing such a tremendous job of loving their husbands that they didn't need to be told to do that? No sense bringing that up. Or maybe is it that Paul understood a fundamental difference between husbands and wives, a difference between men and women, and he wasn't the last one to notice there's a linguist at Georgetown University. Her name is Deborah Tannen. She's written a number of books on men and women in conversation. In fact, one of her books is called Men and Women in Conversation. Easy to remember, right? Deborah Tannen said, the problem in life when it comes to communication between men and women is that we tend to, by instinct, value different things most in life. Deborah Tannen said that men, by instinct, tend to value most competence. Competence is skill. It's our ability to do something well. It's our ability to fix things like broken garbage disposals. Now, don't women value competence? Of course they can. But Deborah Tannen said is all the way back to the time they're little girls, what you'll see in women is that there's something in life they instinctively value above competence, and that's what she called connection. Connection is a woman's ability to establish and sustain relationships competence for men, connection for women. Now, here's where it becomes relevant to you and to me. Deborah Tannen said, if you listen to men talking to women and women talking to men, what you'll discover is that the way we talk, the language we use, reflects the thing that we value most. So since a man is valuing competence more than anything else, our communication is what Deborah Tannen called report. That means give me the facts. The facts, ma'am, just the facts. Give me the data. Give me the information. What do I need to solve the problem? It's report. She said because women more value connection, their ability to establish and sustain relationships, when a woman talks, she talks to establish rapport. Report, rapport, right? And you've observed this if you're married or if you've ever just hung out with somebody from the opposite gender. See, whenever we have friends come into town, it's my job to drive to RDU and pick them up from the airport. But I do report. That's my way of communicating. So by the time we get back home from the airport, I found out everything I need to know about them. It doesn't matter how long it's been since I've seen them. It could be since childhood. By the time we make that 20-minute drive home, I'm done. I'm ready to turn around and take them back to the airport again. <laughs> And I'll have that conversation with Joy because she starts in on rapport when we get home. So what's been going? I got that, honey. I, took, I got that. I got that info. How were your kids? And I got it. I got all that information here. And Joy is thinking, how is it even possible in 20 minutes you found out what's going to take me three days to learn? I just want the report. So we get on the phone talking to Joy's parents. In three minutes, I'm done. But the phone call lasts 45 minutes. I'm out of there in three minutes. I can't think of any other question to ask. How you doing? 
how is your house? How is the Lord treating you? I'm done. I'm out. But I'm there for the next 42 minutes, right? I can't think of anything else to ask. My wife is an amazing question asker. She studied journalism when she was in college. But I don't think journalism taught her to ask questions. I think she studied journalism because she's so good at asking questions. So when we're with another couple and we have a conversation, I spend the first three minutes talking to the couple. I spend the next 42 looking at my wife thinking, how did you think of that? Because she asks open-ended questions, right? By the end of the conversation, I'm doing those subtle clues that I'm done like, okay, yeah, all righty, right? You men, you men know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's a basketball technique. You plant the pivot foot like this, and you start the conversation, but with the other foot, you look for the exit door. You can't move that foot, that's a foul, but this one can look... It can look for a way out. So you're all right. You good? Everything okay? Yeah? I'm out. I'm gone. Yeah. Right? And while I'm signaling I'm done and we're out of here, that's when joy will go. So how did you two meet? Oh, no, no. And I have to say to her later, honey, you, you never ask an open-ended question like, how did you meet? They might answer. No, you always ask it like, so, you two met. <laughs> right? Yeah, see, this is the difference between report and rapport. Let me focus on men here for a minute. So, guys, buckle up. When a man has a problem, problem at work, problem at home, personal, physical, whatever it is, because a man values competence most skill, his ability to fix things, his instinct is to gather up his problem and he will take it down to the shop where he will lock the door behind him before rolling it out on the workbench, strapping on his tool belt and going to work on his own problem. Because if he can fix his own problem all by himself, he's a competent person. That's a great source of pride and satisfaction for him. And he'll even come out with that problem and he'll show it off to other people. Hey, you, come here, look at this. Compound fracture of the femur, I said it myself. <laughs> yeah. Now, the problem is, wives, you know he's in the shop, don't you? You know he's got a problem, and so you want to connect. So you come knocking on the shop door, and it's, honey, let me in. I, I know you have a problem. Share your problem with me. But men, have you ever noticed... When, when a, a voice has to pass through a solid object like a door, it, it gets confused sometimes because what you hear inside the shop, it sounds more like, hey, moron, open the door. I know you can't fix it yourself, so let me in and I'll fix it for you. Man, have you ever noticed that when your wife asks one too many caring questions, you start getting mad? Yeah, the women are laughing here, not the men. They're going, what? Yeah, yeah. You start getting mad, and she doesn't get it. Why do you, why do you get mad? Because you feel like your competence is being challenged. Don't you think I can do this? Don't you think I can fix this? I once said to my wife, hey, what's with the third degree? What, what's with the interrogation? What comes next, waterboarding? <laughs> I said that to my wife. 
Waterboarding, big problem for husbands, isn't it? If you think about it, guys, when you go to see the movies, every male action hero you've ever seen is about competence, isn't he? How many movies have you seen where the star is some guy that used to work for the CIA but got out of that line of work, but now there's a problem and they have to send for him? If your daughter gets held hostage, you want to go get Liam Neeson. I don't know what the deal is with his daughter. She gets held hostage constantly. <laughs> it's a weekly activity for her. But, you know, if that's your problem, you get Liam Neeson because he has the skills and he can solve the problem. If, if terrorists are about to kill the president, you get Jack Bauer because Jack has skills and he will come in and shoot them in the knee and then ask questions later. And every man wants to shoot someone in the knee. It's just an innate <laughs> thing. Right? I've always said the prototypical male action hero was Luke Skywalker. Young, untested, untried, but through a series of events outside his control, he's thrown into the arena. He has to go up against the Empire. And by the end of the series, Luke, through his skill, his innate ability, he has conquered an intergalactic evil empire. That's all a man wants to conquer an intergalactic evil empire. Is that asking so much, really? But you see, we long for competence. And so men see life in terms of performance. Instinctively, the questions that a man asks, either consciously or unconsciously, is, how am I doing? Am I a success or am I a failure? Am I competent? That means, am I any good at anything? And this is a world that gets more complex and more difficult all the time. That's why the questions are so important to us. And that's why men tend to stick to areas of strength and avoid areas of weakness. Have you women noticed this? Hey, honey, you want to dance? No. Last time I danced in public, somebody wrestled me to the ground and forced a stick between my teeth. No. See, that might explain why your husband seems passive in some areas. Why won't you take care of this? Why don't you do a better job with investments or planning or budgeting? I'm no good with money. So I stay away from the thing I'm no good at. Because operating in an area of weakness, I feel incompetent. Sticking to my area of strength, I can do it. How am I doing? Am I a success? Am I a failure? Am I any good at anything? It's respect that answers those questions for a man. So how big a deal is this for a man? How powerful is a man's desire for respect? I'm going to take you to the Old Testament book of Proverbs and show you a strange passage here. You won't get this at first, but this is fascinating. The book of Proverbs, next to the Gospels, is my favorite book of the Bible. It's a collection of epigrams, sayings, just little snippets of wisdom about how life does and does not work. It's a 3,000-year-old book, and it was collected at an interesting time in Israel's history. See, for years and years, Israel had just been this loose-knit confederation of tribes, warring tribes that were usually competing to see who would have supremacy. Then comes King Saul, then comes King David, and in a short period of time, this loose-knit confederation has actually turned into a unified nation. And for the first time, it has a cosmopolitan center, a city. It's Jerusalem. So you've got all these young men growing up on family farms who are now looking at the big city. And how are you going to keep them down on the farm now that they've seen Paris, right? 
So in those days, all the young men were heading off where there was opportunity, and there was opportunity in the city. The problem is in the city, there is also danger and temptation. So fathers wanted to do their best to prepare their sons, not only for life, but for the temptations of the big city. This is where the book of Proverbs comes from. And that's why as you read through the beginning of the book, what you'll find is a series of warnings throughout the whole beginning. Hey, sons, by the way, when you get to the city, look out for, and so young men are told, watch out for fools. That's a big theme in the book of Proverbs. Watch out for angry men. They'll get you in trouble. Watch out for men who do not walk according to the way. And in Proverbs chapter 7, this is the passage I'm going to show you. We're seven chapters in, but we're still getting warnings. Here, a dad says to his son, hey, listen, when you get to the city, you need to watch out for the adulterous woman. And the writer of Proverbs 7 tries to dramatize the problem for his son. He actually visualizes the approach, the appeal of the adulterous woman. And you can read it in Proverbs 7, verses 17 through 22. This is what the adulterous woman says. She says, I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. The full moon, he will come home. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Now, men, can you visualize the woman? Have you got a mental picture of what she looks like? Because if you can, that's all imagination. Because did you notice in the passage, there is no physical description of the woman? What color is her hair? What color are her eyes? How, how tall is she? Is she tall or short? Is she hot or not? I thought men were visually wired. I mean, if this is an adulterous woman who persuades the young man, as apparently she does, she's got to be a knockout, right? No idea. So how is it that she's able to entice this young man? Well, the only thing the passage tells us is that she is persuasive, obviously, and that she persuades with flattering lips. She flatters. That's how she does it. See, flattery is a kind of cheap, synthetic imitation of what we really want as men, and that's respect. See, respect says to a man, I believe in you. You can do this. I am on your team. I am in your corner. And flattery is a kind of cheap, false, exaggerated hollow version of respect. Oh, you are the greatest there ever was. Oh, you are smarter than anybody. Oh, nobody understands you. You're taken for granted. In fact, the most famous example of flattery in the Bible you'll find in Acts chapter 12. It's that passage where King Herod addresses an audience, and when he finishes, people start shouting out, the words of a God and not a man. Oh, come on. Who would buy that? Who would believe it? Well, if you're vain enough, or maybe if you're desperate enough for the real thing, you just might buy it. See, men, our desire for competence and our need for respect makes us vulnerable in two ways that the writers of Proverbs would say, you need to understand this. You, you need to be forewarned about this. 
The first vulnerability for us, we're sensitive to blame. You women know what I'm talking about. Marital research shows that when a conflict begins between a husband and wife, more than 70% of the time, it's the husband who runs from the conflict. Why? Because we value competence and conflict feels like failure. I mean, if you're bringing up the issue, I must be messing up in some area, or you wouldn't even be bringing it up, right? It automatically feels like failure, so we're out of there. The problem, guys, is when you run from a conflict, you just started another conflict. We need to remember we are sensitive to blame. And just because she's bringing up a topic, that means nothing about your performance. Second area of vulnerability is what Proverbs 7 shows us, flattery. Because when you long for respect and you're not getting it, you will listen to the cheap, hollow imitation. Which means, wives, you have tremendous power in your husband's life. You have the ability to lift him and encourage him to tell him that you believe in him. Yesterday morning, I got up to have my coffee. That's my morning ritual. When I get my morning coffee, I always use the same coffee mug. It is my Indiana Hoosiers mug. Or if you follow the Big Ten tournament, it's the Indiana Losers. We were knocked out by Maryland. But I got to have my IU mug or I can't drink my coffee. I couldn't find my mug yesterday. I look all over. There it is. It's out on the counter, and on top of it is this card. This is a card that my wife left for me, and she wanted to make sure that I'd find it. She knew the only way to make sure I'd see it is to put it next to my IU mug. This is the card. On the front, it's covered in X's and O's. She's obviously into (laughs) tic-tac-toe. And inside the card, this is what my wonderful wife wrote. She said, Tim, I know we've been running in different directions this week, but just wanted you to know, I'm praying for your time at Hope. I'll be there on Sunday morning cheering you on silently. Don't worry. I love you, and I'm still your number one fan. Love, Joy. Now, I often travel to speak without my wife, and often, often, more often than not, when I open my suitcase, I find a little card like this from my wife. I keep these. I have a file of these. I save these. And she always signs them the same way. I love you, and I'm your number one fan. You know how I read that? Blah, 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 and I'm your number one fan. (laughs) Yes, I like to hear that she loves me, but that's what stands out to me. Because I'm a guy and I value competence. And the world is getting more complicated all the time. And when I go to the movies, I see men who can disarm nuclear weapons. I have to call my son to get my DVR to work. (laughs) Life isn't getting easier. And I'm constantly forced to work in areas of weakness. And I need to know, am I a success or a failure? Does anybody believe in me? And my wife says, yeah, I do. So let's talk about women for a minute. Men may value competence, but women value connection. So when a woman has a problem, it could be a work problem, a problem at home, a personal problem, because you're valuing connection above competence, what you women tend to do is gather your problem up and you look for someone you can connect with about the problem. You want to explain the problem to them. What you're looking for is someone who will just listen and understand and maybe validate. Maybe say something like, huh, I get that. You know, that must have been very hard for you. 
I don't blame you. I would have felt the same way. Now, if someone will listen and connect with her, what she does is takes half the burden and gives it to them. They never feel it, but she has lightened her own load by 50%, unburdened herself. The problem for us men is we don't naturally speak the language of connection. We're speaking the language of competence. So as your wife is explaining the problem to you, you're strapping on your tool belt, aren't you? Because what you're saying to her is, you know, honey, I got a solution here. Uh, let me just fix your problem. Then I don't have to listen to you at all. See that, how that works? It's a kind of a time-saving device. Isn't that good, right? Yeah. yeah. In fact, when Joy and I were first married, I actually said to her once, hey, if you had an anvil sitting on your foot, would you want me to lift the anvil off your foot or just talk with you about how much it hurts? <laughs> and isn't this the garbage disposal problem? See, what my wife was saying to me is, you know how, how rough that was to have friends coming over in five minutes and I can't even make the house look decent because the garbage disposal is jammed. Can you feel that with me? Do you know what that was like for me? What am I doing? Strapping on the tool belt, right? Let me just tell you how to fix a garbage disposal. Competence and connection. Because women are valuing connection above competence, they ask consciously or unconsciously a different set of questions. The questions women ask are things like, do you love me? Do you need me? And do you desire me? And as the years go by, or even day to day, which question they most need answered by you men will change. And that's what we have to pay attention to. Not long after the garbage disposal incident, I began to realize Joy and I actually spoke two different languages. And it occurred to me that I really needed to get out of my shoes and into hers. I needed to learn to speak the language of love. So we were both at home. I passed her in the hallway and thought, this is my opportunity. So I just hooked one arm around her waist, kind of pulled her in close, and I looked her in the eyes, and I said, you know what? I love you more than anything in the world. I'll never forget, Joy just put her arms around my neck. She looked me in the eyes and said, tell me more about how you love me. <laughs> There's more? <laughs> I thought that was Shakespeare. I thought I could live for six months off of that. <laughs> Women are never satisfied. It took me years into marriage before I clued into this difference between competence and connection. See, when Joy and I would go out to dinner and she'd fix herself up to look all nice, we'd get in the car and finally she would say to me, how do I look? And I would say, fine. <laughs> Man, you're going nowhere with that word. <laughs> fine is an empty, hollow, colorless, meaningless adjective. It means Nothing. Why would I say fine? Because I think in terms of competence. I am a problem solver by nature. A man's motto is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right? So when Joy would say, How do I look? What I heard was, Do you see any problems <laughs> with the way I look? So I would check her over for problems shoes that don't match, bra strap hanging over her elbow forgot to wear a blouse, 
some small thing I could fix for her. So I would look her over for problems, no problems, right? And if I saw no problem, I said nothing. And I did that for a long time until one day Joy said to me, you know what? In the absence of your praise, I will assume your displeasure. Wow. You know what she was saying is, my approach is exactly the opposite of yours. What I was saying to my wife is, in the absence of my praise, just assume my praise. Men, women don't assume praise. That's the hole in their soul. See, the questions she's asking are as powerful as yours, and she wants to know, as I age, do you love me? Do you need me? And do you desire me? And I'm not going to know unless you tell me. See, there's an old stereotype that women are more loving than men. I don't buy it. I don't believe it. I think men are just as loving as women. It just looks different on a man than it does on a woman. And I believe that by nature, you women are better communicators than we are. So often, we've got all the love we need for you. We just don't tell you about it. And someone once said to love someone and not tell them, that's like buying them a beautiful gift but never giving it away. But you know something, guys? It's not a birthday party if you buy a gift and bring it and take it home with you again. It's not a party unless you give the gift away. I'm not asking you men to feel anything that you don't feel. I'm asking you to do something you may not be doing. Because the truth is, to feel love, that's just an emotion. But to say, I love you, that's a discipline. Yeah. And we need to get into the discipline of giving the gift away. By the way, Joy has taught me the correct message is, I love you, not love ya. Apparently, the personal pronoun is very important to women. Joy told me, love ya, to a woman, that means I almost had an emotion, <laughs> but I took a couple of Tums and it went away. <laughs> Competence and connection, report and rapport. Men are asking, am I competent? Am I a success or a failure? Women are asking, do you love me? Do you need me? Do you desire me? If you are not married here right now, what you're thinking is, thank you, Tim, for the inspirational talk. I'm not married. Well, if you're not married, I'm not letting you off the hook. Because, you see, the topic I just introduced is the broader topic of the day. The issue of speaking the language of your mate is a subset of the topic of the need to give the gift away. You see, this is how I would diagram my relationships. I have an inner circle in my life. In my inner circle, there's joy and there's my kids. Nobody else is in my inner circle. Because I have allowed them into my inner circle, they have tremendous power in my life. They have a power to wound me, hurt me, and they have a power to lift me and encourage me because they're that close to me. They're in my inner circle. Now, I have an outer circle too, and in my outer circle, there are people like Joy's parents. My parents passed away years ago. But I love her parents as if they were my own. In that circle, there's also just a few close friends, and they have the power to hurt me too. They have the power to encourage and lift me as well. Not quite as much as Joy does or my kids do, but still, they're in my outer circle. And then beyond that, there's everybody else in the whole world. You're familiar with the old proverb, Proverbs 18.21, that says, the power of life and death is in the tongue, right? Like all Proverbs... It's true in certain contexts, but not in others. That's what makes it a proverb and not a formula. Well, it's never more true than in the inner circle. See, I have granted joy and my kids the power of life and death. 
through what they say to me. See, if somebody in the outer world calls me a moron, so what? I can write that off. Who are you? You don't really know me. If my wife or my kids call me a moron, that cuts deep. And if my wife shows me respect, that lifts, that encourages. As you leave here this morning, I'm not asking you to evaluate who's in your inner circle. I'm asking a more important question. The question is, who has allowed you into their inner circle? Is it a spouse? Is it a child? Is it a mom or a dad or a colleague? Who do you believe has allowed you into their inner circle? Because they have granted you the power of life and death. And you need to know that there are people here at Hope who are dying. They are emotionally dying because of a struggle they're going through. They are spiritually dying because they're in a period of doubt right now. There are people at Hope that are literally dying. Or at least they're thinking about it. And all that may stand between that thought and them actually doing it is a word. And the word has to come from somebody in their inner circle that has the power to heal. In the United States, if you want to practice medicine, you need a graduate degree and a license. The good news, the Bible tells us, is you can still practice medicine because you're a healer. You have the power of life and death in somebody's life. And as you walk out here this morning, what I'd like you to think is that you're wearing a white lab coat because you're a physician, you're a surgeon, you're a healer. And I want you thinking right now, who is it? Who's that person that I love, but I haven't told him in a long, long time? Who's that person who's trying to do the best they can do, but have I communicated respect to them? Who is it that I can encourage? Who can I heal today just through saying the right thing? That's your assignment. Proverbs 18.21, in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase called The Message, reads this way. Words kill... Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Let me pray for you. Hey, thank you, Father, for your love for us. And thanks for the understanding that you give us. And thank you for the power to heal or destroy. So bring to our minds, each of us individually this morning, that person that we need to speak to. Give us the right message and discipline us to give the gift away. Thank you. We pray in Christ's name.